This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. For us to prosper and benefit from this new digital landscape, we need to ensure that Canadians have confidence that their data is safe, that their privacy is being respected, and that companies are deploying new technologies responsibly. The bill I am introducing today will do just that for Canadians. It has taken many months, but Bill C-27, the government's long overdue effort at privacy reform, is finally headed to committee for review. Philippe Dufresne, Privacy Commissioner of Canada, has been patiently waiting for this moment, armed with a comprehensive review of the bill and a wide range of recommendations for amendments that include a more explicit framing of privacy as a fundamental right. Dufresne was appointed as Canada's Privacy Commissioner nearly one year ago, and in the months since has made numerous committee appearances, issued high-profile findings involving companies such as Home Depot, battled internet companies in the courts, and worked on the privacy implications of new technologies such as artificial intelligence. He joins me on the podcast to reflect back on his first year in the position and to outline his proposals to strengthen Canada's best shot at a modernized privacy law. Commissioner Dufresne, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you've taken the time to join. There's, of course, so much to talk about. Uh, And before getting to some of the substance, we certainly have to talk about some of the privacy reforms in particular. We're about a month away as we record this from your first anniversary of your appointment as commissioner. And I thought we might start with a bit of a reflection, you know, uh, other than the fact that time flies, it's hard to believe it's gone so quickly. You know, you know what surprised you about the position and, and what would you consider some of your ma- major accomplishments in year one? Thank you so much. Great, uh, great starting question. So I, I think I had a good sense of what the role uh, was going to be. But what surprised me was really the the scope and and the frequency of all of the privacy issues that are happening and that are impacting all of us on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I uh, I was speaking to colleagues from my from my former human rights world where we would see uh, headline issues about human rights matters maybe maybe once once a month or once a week and on privacy frankly it's it's almost once a day and so it really has confirmed uh, what I what I knew which was that uh, privacy touches all of us. Uh, not just those who are interested or knowledgeable about technology, and it touches all age groups and it touches uh, multifaceted areas of our lives. And so that's that's why it's so important that we get it right. Uh, in terms of the uh, first year of my mandate, uh, you're, you're quite right. The time has has flown by very quickly, and uh, I'm I'm very proud of having been able to join uh, the amazing team at the OPC and to really get to know the incredible and engaged privacy community in Canada and internationally. So I have uh, made it a priority to uh, to meet uh, stakeholders, to meet colleagues, to meet uh, academics, experts, privacy champions, and uh, I've been able to do so here and internationally. There's been a number of 
international engagement, whether it was the G7 uh, in Bonn of last year and looking forward to the next upcoming one in Tokyo in, in a couple of weeks, uh, the APA meeting in Singapore, the Reboot meeting in Vancouver, Legal Legalité in Montreal, I, IAPP Washington, uh, Privacy Symposium in Venice, and I'm going to IAPP Toronto uh, in the next few days. And so the community is, is engaged, it's knowledgeable, and it's frankly a source of, uh, of of inspiration and engagement and ideas for me. There's been a lot of activity in terms of parliamentary advice. Uh, I was called to the ethics committee very early on in, in the year to uh, to give views about the RCMP's use of on-device investigative tools and to give my uh, my recommendation to ensure that privacy impact assessments be done and be legally required under the Privacy Act. I mean, uh, I appeared in front of the Senate committee uh, studying Bill C-11, not the privacy Bill C-11, but the broadcasting C-11. Um, to talk about the privacy impacts of this legislation with respect to algorithms and promoting certain contents uh, for, for viewers and, and making sure that we had privacy as an objective of broadcasting policy. Recently appeared again in the Senate committee in terms of um, Bill C-47 on uh, the uh, political parties and the extent to which they ought to be uh, regulated by privacy law. Um, we've prepared, of course, our C27 submission, which uh, I was expecting to have presented to committee by now, but certainly we were working very, very much all of last summer and early in my mandate, getting this ready for what we thought would have been an appearance last fall, but uh, very happy that it is now uh, public and uh, looking forward to appear to in front of the committee. Um, there have been key investigations. I was very proud to release investigation our Home Depot uh, matter uh, to clarify some of the uh, some of the issues there in, in terms of uh, consent, in terms of reasonable expectations of uh, Canadians when they're uh, being offered a choice like uh, an electronic receipt or a paper receipt. We're continuing to work on pandemic investigations. We issued our annual report. We've launched two um, major. Uh, timely, important investigations with respect to TikTok, Chat GPT. We've had uh, litigation in front of the courts with respect to Google and Facebook. And lastly, uh, we've also had to deal, like everyone else, with the um, the end phase of the pandemic and the uh, solidifying of the hybrid workplace, uh, a public service strike. And so really getting the office in a good position uh, to transition to this and to keep uh, the OPC as, uh, as an, amazing, an amazing place in terms of providing uh, key results for Canadians, but also a, a good workplace, uh, healthy and safe. And so those, those are some of the things that I'm, um, I'm very proud of having accomplished in the first year. Okay, that's uh, that, that's a long list. It's a, lo a lot of frequent flyer miles, and also a lot of a lot of topics. And and I want to drill down on several of those. Let's focus on C twenty seven. And you're right; it's taken a long time even to get to this point. And I think there's been a fair amount of frustration with with how how long it has taken even just to get this bill to committee. Now, now your recommendation. Uh, focused on three primary areas, and I want to focus on all of them briefly. Privacy is a fundamental right, privacy in support of the public interest, and Canada's competitiveness and privacy is an accelerator of public trust. 
Now, you know, you talked about an engaged privacy community. I think that's absolutely true. And we've seen that now over decades of, of privacy reform. Very often, we find different perspectives coming to the fore. And some might even take a look at some of those things. Talk about, for example, competitiveness and innovation and say that that can butt up against, let's say, uh, privacy as a fundamental right, arguing that stronger privacy rules may impede some of the in innovation and competitiveness. You know, how, how, how do you respond to sort of the, the balancing act sometimes that takes place or even the argument that when it comes to a fundamental right, it's not about uh, balancing some of these kinds of issues? Well, the way, the way I, I see it really is that we need to have both privacy and we have to have innovation, competitiveness, public interest, um, security, effectiveness, innovation, and so on. And uh, there could be a tension. Absolutely, there can be a tension. They can appear to be at cross purposes. It can appear to be that if you improve the one, you're doing this at the expense of the other. Um, that that was true in in the in my old world of pure human rights and equality and anti discrimination where uh, there was the sense uh, put forward that, well, if you protect human rights, you're going to reduce uh, national security. You're going to reduce productivity uh, in organizations. And so both in the human rights, pure human rights world and in the privacy world, uh, <clears throat> my position is that we should reject this, uh, this zero-sum uh, result, and we should strive to have both. Uh, is it easy to have both? No, it's not easy. It takes it takes work. It takes work at the front end and it takes consistent work. Um, but uh, it was President Kennedy, I, I believe, who said we do those things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. I think that's absolutely true here. Uh, privacy is a fundamental right. It means that it's something that's core to who we are as individuals. It's core to our dignity. It's core to so many other fundamental rights. Um, and so we, we absolutely need to have that and to protect that and to strengthen that. At the same time, Canada needs to be competitive. We need to ensure that we have a robust economy. We need to ensure that we have public institutions that are able to deliver for Canadians on key areas of, of public interest, uh, whether it's, it's democracy, whether it's health, whether it's security, whether it's innovation. And so uh, it's possible. It's possible we can do it. I think sometimes we are and the Supreme Court has reminded us of this on occasion, we're, we're, we can be too quick sometimes to say, well, there is a conflict between those two things. Uh, there are sometimes conflicts, but I, I believe that we can avoid many, if not most of the conflicts, if we work hard at it, if we do privacy impact assessments, if we have keep privacy top of mind. And so if we do this, uh, we're going to be able to have both. And in the rare cases that we cannot that is where privacy being a fundamental right will come into play, just as it does for human rights. And in those rare cases, privacy should prevail because of its predominant status. Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a perfect segue into it's drilling down a little more onto that issue of privacy as a fundamental right. You know, that has been one of the issues that's been raised, I think, by a number of the opposition MPs and by certainly many academics and others arguing that th that needs to be better reflected in the legislation. You know, what what do you think that would mean in practice? You know, how would you change the bill to better reflect uh, privacy as a fundamental right? Well, our recommendation to Parliament really focuses on uh, two things, the preamble 
of the legislation and the purpose clause. And so we have, and this is something that is uh, better about C-27. We, we highlight that in our recommendations, better than the former C-11 in the sense that there is a preamble that recognizes uh, the importance of privacy and it talks about privacy uh, and it talks about international um, principles and so on. But the, the preamble in my view can and should be stronger. It can and should be uh, more uh, direct. It should not talk about privacy interests. It should talk about uh, fundamental privacy rights. In the purpose clause of the bill, it should not only talk about privacy rights, it should talk about fundamental privacy rights. And what would that change? Well, what it would change is it would make uh, explicit uh, what uh, the Supreme Court has already recognized, which is to say that uh, legislation dealing with privacy is of a special status. It's of a quasi-constitutional nature, um, like human rights legislation. And, and, and what does that mean? Well, it means that, as I've stated earlier, in those cases where there is a conflict between a fundamental right and another interest or another objective that, while important, is not in the nature of a fundamental right, um, the fundamental right will prevail. And it's, it's very important and it frames the entire discussion such that privacy is not at, at the same level as um, economic uh, success or, or even public interest consideration, which is not to say that these considerations are, are, not, are unimportant. I, I, you, I keep saying that we need to ensure that these objectives and these interests are also achieved. But again, it recognizes the, uh, the paramount nature of privacy. And, you know, sometimes you, you may even have a conflict between uh, two fundamental rights. And in inst such, such instances, courts will have to, um, to make some decisions as to which one would prevail. And we've had a recent example of federal court in a, in a case called Kane, where the Supreme Court said both privacy and transparency access those are fundamental uh, rights, uh, but if there's a if there's a conflict between two privacies, the one that ought to prevail again because it is so fundamental to who we are as human beings, it's so fundamental to our dignity, to our uh, ability to to live freely. Um, some have described it as a as a, as an insurance policy for for democracy or as a uh, as a vector for freedom, um, and and those are all those things are all true. Um, and so that's why it's important. That's why I keep talking about privacy as a fundamental right. Um, it's not something that should be uh, worrying businesses, in my view, because um, we can have economic success, innovation, while protecting privacy. But uh, as human beings, we should all agree that a privacy ought to be described and treated as a fundamental right. Okay. Now, speaking of, of innovation and competitiveness, I did want to ask you about two of the recommendations um, in your document. First, you call for a strengthening of the framework for de-identified and anonymized information. Uh, how, how would you like to see that happen or what would you like to see happen? Well, some of the things, first of all, it's, it's a good thing that the bill talks about de-identification and anonymization, and it, it highlights it's a sign that the bill is uh, modernizing and it is looking at today's reality. And there are many uh, tools, um, privacy-enhancing technologies that we can use so that it, data could be used for innovation and for public interest and so on. Uh, 
if if it's if it's treated in a way and it's modified in a way that it's not able to to re-identify individuals. So the bill talks about de-identification, which is situations where there's no direct identification of someone, but there is still a risk that you can um, you can somehow re-identify individuals, and that. Um, those types of information, they remain governed under the law. Um, and anonymized information, as you know, would be information where there's no possibility of uh, identifying someone. And so that falls outside the scope of the act. We're recommending a tightening of the definition for um, anonymization, really keeping the focus on this, this notion of um, the fact that you cannot re-identify the individual. There is a notion of generally accepted best practice that may well be for part of codes of practice and guidance and so on. But we recommended that the definition really focus on the essential element, which is no no identification. Um, and in terms of de-identification, we highlighted the importance of focusing on the risk of re-identification when, uh, when, when dealing with this. The legislation talks about uh, looking at uh, sensitivity of the information, um, but it was lacking this notion of the risk of re-identification. We feel that's important, particularly because this is an area where technology moves so quickly um, that this should be uh, top of mind when dealing with this type of, uh, of information, which will be treated differently uh, under the act as compared to personal information. Yeah, no, no, speaking of, thanks for that. Speaking of, of technology moving quickly, AI is top of mind for a lot of people. And, and, and part of that, of course, is the, the move towards automated decision-making. You're calling for a greater disclosure of automated decision-making. Uh, how would you envision that playing out? Well, we, we've recommended that uh, there be uh, strong algorithmic transparency in the bill. The bill has some provision where there are some obligations proactively to provide um, information about the, um, the type of decision, the information that's used and the purpose and so on. Um, and there's been this, this added element that the uh, type of decision-making has to be uh, one that has a significant impact. So that's an, added, that's an added requirement, which we feel is appropriate for the broader proactive public facing explanation. But with respect to another part of the bill, which gives individuals the right to request an, inf an explanation on demand, uh, we recommend the removal of that uh, condition, just so that the algorithmic transparency be broader, um, that this just gives more ability for Canadians to ask questions and to understand what, how are these decisions, uh, recommendations being made uh, that are that are affecting me? We also recommend that it be um, also the definition be amended to explicitly uh, include profiling, uh, so that there's no ambiguity. It removes the risk of have this having to go to court and be and be uh, litigated. Um, so making it clear, just in the interest of providing more information to Canadians uh, in an area that uh, we see more and more use of the these types of processes. Yeah. Now, now speaking of you know, Canadians asking for information, potentially launching complaints and, and various reviews, you, you emphasize as well in your recommendations as part of the privacy is an accelerator of trust, timeliness of decisions, streamline reviews. What are some of your concerns with the, the way the process functioning now or, or how it might function if, if under C-27? 
Well, it's it's always a tension, again, whether it's here in the privacy world, whether in my old world of human rights, it's always a tension between uh, the processes, the speed, the time it takes for investigations to 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 be completed, and and then the, and and the quality and thoroughness of those investigations and and the outcome at the end of the day. So we need to strike that that right uh, balance. Um, we uh, talked about the um, the process under C27, which would create uh, a new step with uh, the creation of the uh, the privacy uh, tribunal, personal information and data protection tribunal, uh, that would be uh, reviewing decisions, uh, my decisions in terms of order making, and which would be receiving recommendations. And so we we flag that in the sense that it's it's a new step in the in the court process. After that, you would have the federal court trial division. You would then have the federal court of appeal, and with leave, uh, you could go to the Supreme Court of Canada. So. That additional step obviously um, would result in in more time and more expenses to um, to not so well to my office, but really what matters is to, to Canadians and to organizations. Um, so our recommendation was that if we're going to have a tribunal uh, as a as a next step, then we should remove one step from the process. And so we recommended that the appeals from the tribunal would go straight to the federal court of appeal. Uh, instead of the trial division, that way you would you would add a step, but you would reduce a step, and so that's that's that timing element. We uh, we indicated al alternatively, um, you could you could do away with the tribunal and have the review go directly to the federal court. That's a possibility, but understanding the the desire of the of the of the government at this stage, and now it was a desire that was also in C11 to have that tribunal. Uh, we focused on what we could do to uh, to accelerate uh, the timelines and to reduce the costs. Okay, it's, a, it's an interesting evolution in the thinking from your office, which I previously some people were a bit surprised by the tribunal. Now, sort of trying to see how you can work with it. You know, let me quickly go through just a, a few other issues outside of C27, just to get some of your quick thoughts. Um, sure. You know, you you talked about how long it's taken even for C27 to come to committee. That pales. By comparison, quite frankly, when we think about uh, the Privacy Act and reform in terms of what, how what the, the standards government holds itself to when it comes to privacy. You have any thoughts? This is this issue has been deviled all of your predecessors, quite literally. You know, how can we jumpstart the process to reform the rules that government subjects itself to when it comes to privacy? Well, I, I agree that it has to move uh, much more quickly. Obviously, Privacy Act is even older than uh, PIPIDA. It's, uh, it celebrated its 40th anniversary in July. Um, so it needs to move forward. And um, it's, uh, I, I think the best thing we can do to move Privacy Act reform uh, forward is to complete C27 reviews, complete private sector Privacy Act review, especially if there is going to be um, the sense of a tribunal uh, being created or di different types of processes I suspect Parliament may well want to have and uh, and I would want as well to have some interoperability between the private sector and the public sector regime. We want to make sure that the um, the norms are similar, the processes are similar obviously with the necessary distinctions, but we're seeing more and more public-private partnerships and so having uh, major gaps in terms of the uh, uh, the privacy protections between the two uh, is not is not helpful and just creates these uncertainties and these uh, and these challenges. And so, uh, the sooner it can happen, uh, the better. And certainly, uh, I stand ready, as does my office, to uh, to support Parliament in in getting this done. Okay, so we've got 
private sector on the one side, public sector on the other. And then somehow you have political parties that somehow seem to fall through a gap altogether. You mentioned that you appeared uh, before committee on C-47, the budget implementation bill. Uh, I had Colin Bennett on my podcast recently talking about the inclusion of what I think most regard as pretty weak rules for political parties. You have, can you share some of the thoughts that you shared with the committee, both on on the substance of what we find in C-47 and perhaps also the decision to include privacy in this kind of omnibus way within a budget bill? Well, I, I uh, shared my view with the Senate committee, and there were really two key elements to that. Uh, my view that the uh, political parties ought to be governed by privacy rules that, uh, that meet international standards. Right now, the, um, the existing rule in the Elections uh, Act require the um, political parties to, to publish their policies, and so their, their transparency uh, requirements, but um, doesn't go much further than that. So uh, it ought to be, in, in my view, that the similar principles as ones found in, in, uh, in PIPIDA, uh, in, in Privacy Act, really to, to highlight that. Now, again, there may well be some necessary modifications to take into consideration the reality of political party. It again goes to my, to my second point, where we should have privacy, but we should also allow uh, public interests and um, innovation, and in the case of political party, ultimately uh, democracy. That's that's fundamental. So we 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 can't have rules that are going to be uh, preventing political parties from operating. But uh, but it, again, it's not a zero sum game. So we need to have these types of rules. And the other issue was that under C forty seven, political parties are, are are required to follow the rules they set for themselves. Um, but there's no third party independent decision maker to review that in situations of complaints. So really what it looks like is you would go to the party's uh, ombudsperson. So um, I recommend that, that you need good, good norms and you also need a, a good decision making process with a neutral uh, third party. So um, I hope to see that. Uh, uh, and that's really in the hands of parliament at this stage. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think it's a lot of people have been concerned. Two last issues. You highlighted one, and, and I recognize there may be some limits on what you can say. Uh, one involves the case involving Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Uh, that decision contains some pretty strong words about the evidence that was mounted by your office. Um, you've now appealed. Can, can you describe at all your reaction to the decision and, and how far are you prepared to take the case? Well, certainly. We uh, we launched an appeal. The decision is uh, was was not uh, the decision we were hoping for, obviously, and uh, uh, we feel that there are some outstanding uh, questions that will benefit from uh, clarification from the court of appeal. It's a it's a it's an important case. It raises uh, important questions, and uh, and 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 that is frankly why we have uh, an appeal process and the ability to go to to higher courts uh, in appropriate cases, and so. We're, we're doing that and uh, we'll look forward to uh, making our submissions in the, in the appeal court and to, and to receiving uh, the clarification. And, and, um, uh, and so we, uh, I, we'll, see, we'll see what, uh, what unfolds in this process. Okay, fair enough. F finally, AI has clearly been top of mind for months now. You, your office has launched an investigation into ChatGPT. Um, I've got lots of AI questions, but just to, to limit them, I guess, you know, what's, what sparked the investigation, and I think more broadly, how closely you've been tracking AI developments, including the the C twenty seven AI provisions, where there are quite a number of people that that would have preferred to see the AI portion of that bill separated or excluded from the the privacy portions of the bill. 
Right. Well, it, it it's interesting, and again, we'll see what Parliament does with uh, with C27 and the uh, the AI portion. I think that the the government uh, the bill really uh, deals with AI uh, from from the privacy standpoint in the proposed CPPA. So the algorithmic transparency that we were talking about, we've recommended for there to be some uh, mandatory privacy impact assessment in situations that have have higher impact, and that would certainly apply. To, uh, to to much of AI, so that would that would strengthen that. So the privacy side of AI it would continue to be under um, my responsibility in terms of the uh, the complaint process and the guidance and so on. But the ADA bill um, would deal with the outputs of uh, AI processes, high impact AI processes to uh, to prevent harms and to prevent biases, including uh, human rights type uh, biases that would otherwise uh, or could alter alternatively be dealt with by uh, the human rights um, process. And so um, what's important for, from our standpoint, and it's another of our recommendation is that what whatever the process that there be uh, collaboration and good good consultation between those two sides because it's not always a clear cut um, between the outputs and the input there are often impacts the input will have an impact uh, the privacy acts aspects will have an impact and vice versa so it will be important that we we continue to be involved in all of that it's it's one of uh, my priorities and the office's priorities that we keep up with and 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 hopefully stay ahead of fast moving technology another uh, speaking of uh, hard things to do that's certainly one of them um but we we need to do it and so we've um, we've been making key recommendations in terms of ai uh in in my office before before i was here we've had some some recommendations in 2020, um, and in terms of the complaint, again, this is we look at we look at complaints uh, as as they come. This this situation with with ChatGPT, we we received the complaint, and certainly uh, was something that uh, um, raised uh, important questions in terms of um, consent and and use of personal information in terms of. Um, uh, uh, fueling these uh, these AI systems, and so it's something that uh, we're looking forward to uh, to see to see progress. And I think that there's been lots of calls uh, in academics and internationally about about guidance and about regulation um, of this fast-moving technology. So we will certainly uh, be playing our role in that from the privacy standpoint. Okay, definitely a, a full plate. And so uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk a bit about your perspective and, and certainly look forward to, to seeing you at committee and seeing, you know, many others who've been really, I think, chomping at the bit to move forward with C27. So so thanks for your work well, in this area and thanks for the time today. Thank you so much, Professor Geis, and I, and I hope we'll, we'll cross uh, pass uh, in, in committees uh, as well in the next uh, next few weeks or months. That Thank definitely you so a possibility. Much. Thank you. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.